It was a very cruel scene, executed in an unusual manner. Cool Coven. Hi, little cream puffs. So nice to be here again. My name is Tori. It's great to be back. I'm Katie. <laughs> and this is Cruel and Unusual. The podcast. The therapy podcast. Hi. Didn't we kind of sound like we were about to go right into a therapy <laughs> podcast? Are you being authentic to your true self? Are you starting your day with the best positive affirmations Absolutely possible? not. <laughs> <laughs> I am grateful for... Actually, I do like those. Some of those. Can I tell you, wait, were you going to say something? I was just going to say that I've been listening to a couple of therapy podcasts lately. So I think when I started off this one, I was feeling a little chipper. Yeah. So that's why I said that. Maybe. Anyway, what were you going to say? I was just going to tell you a little story, a short little story that happened today. And I've been saving it. Oh. <laughs> Remember that, this is what it made me think of, that article that I read a few episodes ago about the guy stealing the car with the kid in it. Yeah. And then bringing it back. Mm-hmm. I was picking up the kids today from school, and it's kind of like a circle drive, you know, like in the back. I do know. So I pulled up. I was in line. The kids start coming out, and I'm not really paying attention. Like, they just come to the car. They don't have to cross the road or anything. So and you just, just kind of decide come and get that in. this is your last chance to leave before they get in. I'm, let me just finish this Best so Fiends <laughs> level really quick, okay? <laughs> For God's sake. So I'm just sitting there, and the, the back door opens on the, you know, the passenger <laughs> side. <laughs> And I look back, because I'm expecting to see my son. Yeah. And it was not my child. <laughs> Whose child I don't was it? know. Did but shut the hold on. There was like a second where we were just like looking at each other. I My car must have looked like his car. Yeah, sure. And we were just like looking at each other. You know what I said? What? <laughs> I'm not your mother. <laughs> it just came out. <laughs> But, like, the only thing that was going through my head was doom. Like, they're going to think I'm taking their kid. Right. Right. I'm not your mother. (laughs) He's like, oh, sorry. Oh, (laughs) I felt kind of bad, but that's just what came out. That just happened. It was just like a reflex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So funny. That's hilarious. I really wish I would have been there. Really embarrassed. I'm sure he was. (laughs) So was I. Aw, poor guy. Um,. But it's like you were both just stunned. It was a, a mm-hmm. true shocker. Yeah, shocker for him. Uh-huh. He's expecting to get into his his car. Yeah, he's just, he's expecting, expecting to see his mom. I'm expecting my child. Yeah, but neither <laughs> yeah. of you got what you were expecting. No, no, no. Shocker of a lifetime. Shocker. So, anywho, you're listening to Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. Did we say that? Here we are. I don't remember, we are here. We're here. And today is going to be just like every other day <laughs> of your life. Here's the deal. So before Katie gets into the highlight of today, we're going to have a good old-fashioned Q-O-T-D-W. Old-fashioned? Mm-hmm. Um, this is from Kelsey on Twitter. And Kelsey DM'd me, and she wants to know if you could have any sponsor for the podcast <laughs> in the world. What? Who do you think would fit you the most? Who, who would me. you? Yeah. The most. I could tell you who I think it would be. Who? Best Fiends. Well, yeah, I do love some Best Fiends. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting to hear back from Best Fiends. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we even told them in our um our media kit that we sent them. Truly. What level I'm on. And it's high. Okay. <laughs> anyway. We're not going to tell you because that's classified You know info. what would be fun? Like Hunt a Killer. Yes. Or... That's what mine was going to be. Yeah. One like that. I would pick either of those. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. 
Hopefully that answers your question, Kelsey. We're not very like, why, Kelsey? Who are you? Yeah, are you? Would hmm. you like to sponsor us, are you Kelsey? Sponsor us? You know what would be fun? What? To sponsor, because I know some of our friends have like businesses, like Etsy shops or like home-based businesses. Yeah. That would be cool. That would be really Hit cool. us up, guys. Yeah, if you we'll guys... only charge you your undying love. No, seriously, though, if you guys have like um, something like Katie just mentioned, just send us an email. We can figure something mm-hmm. out. Do you want me to read my article first? Yeah, go ahead. I saw this article and it's one of my favorite that I've ever read. Oh, wow. Okay. It's from abc7chicago.com, but it's it's from Arizona. It happened in Arizona, not Chicago. Sure. Um, the title is, Arizona Man Fakes His Own Kidnapping Because He Didn't Want to Go to Work. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I am feeling that all the way down to my disgusting <laughs> core. <laughs> What? <laughs> I'm I like my bones are vibrating hearing that. Coolidge, Arizona. An Arizona man was arrested after faking his own kidnapping because he did not want to go to work, police said. 19-year-old Brandon Solas was <laughs> was found roughed it. up and helpless no. on February 10th in Coolidge, a city 55 miles from Phoenix, KNXV TV reports. But he roughed himself up. He totally roughed himself up. <laughs> oh, he ruffled his own feathers. He did. He told police he had been kidnapped by two masked men. In actuality, police said he did it all to himself. <laughs> a Coolidge Police Department official said, quote, He informed us that he at first stuffed a bandana in his mouth. Afterwards, he took off his own belt and bound his hands with his own belt. He laid on the ground and scooted out on the side of the road so somebody could see him and waited, end quote. I wonder how long he had to wait. <laughs> And his plan worked. Or at <laughs> he didn't least, go to work. <laughs> or at least he thought it would. He definitely didn't go to work. No. Police were called to the scene by a passerby and found Solas. Quote, he informed us that he was hit in the head and stuffed in a car in front of his home. And this occurred after 7 o'clock in the morning. But when we located video surveillance in front of his home, we were able to see no such thing. Oh, honey. <laughs> the police said. They saw him go get in his car and drive away. <laughs> determined. Both hands on the wheel. Yep. I'm determined. doing this. There is no fucking way I'm going to work today. It's not happening. It, I not. felt that. I, I honestly I did felt too. that feeling before. And I just Many really times. wonder if this was any part of mental illness or if he just genuinely just was like, this I don't is know how I'm getting out. Of I it. mean, it could go either way yeah. or a mixture of both. One time I just didn't go back. All right. So let's explained the kidnapping was over a large amount of money that his father had hid somewhere around town. So that was his story. He was kidnapped by these people because... His father had money. The elaborate story, along with the slew of text message evidence he claimed to have, were all made up, police said. Quote, Coolidge Police Department detectives brought him in on the 17th of February, and we questioned him. After we showed him all the information, he admitted that he fabricated the story because he didn't want to go to work, the police official said. That's something Solas won't have to worry about anymore. Police said he was fired from his job at the tire factory in Coolidge. God damn. Yeah. 
Solis was charged February 17th with reporting false information. Police said he pleaded guilty to the crime. Quote, it was very important that we put out that media release to let people know that our community is still safe and there are not two masked men running around and kidnapping people, police said. Police said on top of the fear, it was also a waste of resources, officers, fire, EMS, as well as the hospital that treated his self-inflicted wounds. Wow. According to the New York Times, Solis didn't immediately respond to a Tuesday request for comment. So he's probably ashamed. But that's that's true. You're wasting everybody's time and, and money resources. and resources. Yeah. But I also deeply, deeply vibe with that. <laughs> Big mood. <laughs> okay, so my article is from Fox 32 Chicago, and it is from our town, from here. Okay. The headline is, quote, convicted child murderer released from prison. Uh, I know Did this. Did you see about this? Yes, it's awful. I hate it. Casey Williams, a man convicted of killing and raping a child in 1997, was released from prison on parole Thursday. Williams, formerly of Elgin, which is a suburb of Chicago, will live in unincorporated Crystal Lake, Mm -hmm. according to the McHenry County Sheriff's Office. Sheriff Bill Prim said Williams is registered as a child murderer and sexual predator with the Sheriff's Office. I understand the residents' concerns with Williams' no fucking shit Mm -hmm. released into our community, Prim said in a statement. I want to reassure the residents that we will proactively and continually verify all of our registered sexual offenders' information to ensure that they comply with the Illinois Sexual Offender Registration Act. Williams, 47, served 24 years in prison. 24 years is all he all mm-hmm. he served. It was half of a sentence, I think. It was yeah. He was supposed to serve 47 or 48, I think. Yeah. Um, Pathetic. He served 24 years in prison after being convicted of murdering and sexually assaulting 20-month-old Courtney Clay in 1997. Like, I'm sorry. If I lived anywhere near him, I would. Uh, there's no way. No. I would never feel safe in my home no. with my children. No. Ever. How how the fuck does someone like that get out ever? No. He, and he raped, sexually yeah. assaulted, raped, and murdered a 20-month-old mm-hmm. baby girl. From what I read in another article, I think it was the mom's boyfriend. Yes. And yes. she was working yes. and he was supposed to be mm-hmm. watching her. Yep. Pathetic. Yep. But yeah, it just sickens me that a m- true mm-hmm. monster is yeah. walking the streets of Chicago because our justice system fucking sucks. Yep. So that was my I uplifting. <laughs> that was my uplifting tale. <laughs> well, today's Terrible. episode isn't too um, terribly depressing. Okay, good. So. <laughs> because I just cut down on my medication. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I need yeah. to be careful. What are you going to be talking to me about? So today I'm going to tell you about Chicago, as in the play slash movie a lot of us have seen it. I did a poll in the group and it was like 50-50. I was going to say, are you talking about yourself plural or I didn't see that post. Oh, <laughs> I was like, a lot of us have seen a it. Lot of Who us. Are you? Did you between, do a survey? Between you and I, I know we've both seen it. So that's a lot. Yeah. No, but yeah, I did the poll in the group. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Wasn't Chicago one of them that we watched like at two in the morning in your house on Depot? I think we even saw it in the theater. When we were little. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I think so. I know Jeez. I did. I don't know if we went. To, we probably went together because well, we were each other's only friends. Yeah. Who would you have went with? Yeah. Not me. I don't know. 
I probably slept during it, though. You probably did. (laughs) But Uh it came out in 2002, the most recent movie, because it's been made a few times. Yeah. But if you've seen it, you know that it's set in 1920s Chicago. Which is our love. Yes. It centers around a wannabe starlet named Roxy Hart. She's played by um, Renee Zellweger. Uh So in the movie, Roxy Hart is married. She feels pretty blah about her marriage. She dreams of being on the stage and she meets a lover who says that he essentially has the hookup. He can get her an audition. But it was all a lie. He just wanted to get in her pants. And when Roxy finds out, she shoots him dead. When Roxy's taken to the Cook County Jail, she meets Velma Kelly, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. And in the movie, Velma Kelly really was a famous singer slash dancer. But she had murdered her sister and her husband when she caught them doing number 17, the spread eagle. The spread eagle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That means screwing. (laughs) Yeah, in case you guys didn't know. (laughs) So they both end up getting off for, for the murders that they commit in the movie, basically because Chicago was crooked as shit. Right. And they were pretty. But... So I think I mentioned last week that I watched Chicago during my quarantine, which mm-hmm. sparked all of this shit. You you know how I am. I watch something and then I am just Googling and mm-hmm. Googling and fascinated, Googling the shit out of it. Fascinated, intrigued, fascinated for down a whole... A couple of weeks and then I'm over it. Uh-huh. You're, so. You know how like Alice goes down that rabbit hole or whatever? Yeah. And it's like all these like beautiful things. Yeah. That would be like you only you're surrounded by whatever you're fascinated about. It's true. Wow. But what I didn't know and that I found out in my Googling is that those two characters were based off of two real murderers from Chicago in the 20s. So I'm going to tell you about the accused Mary murderesses. Oh, wow. Beulah Anon and Belva Gardner. Chicago in the 20s was a little problematic. You don't say. It was filled with liquor and guns and glam People were celebrating the end of World War I mm-hmm. with new music, wild, for the times, fashion. And there was just this newfound prosperity. Women had the vote now. Women were getting a little wild, and they just started murdering people. You really couldn't. They, they had been so fucking held back. Yeah. I mean, and, the, and they still their, were in a lot of ways, but there, yeah, there their, was this, like... Their reins were, like, fucking snipped. Yeah. This was during Prohibition, of course, so the manufacturing, distributing, and selling of alcohol were all prohibited. But that didn't stop people from drinking, as we know. It was just moved underground, and speakeasies were born. And this brought around organized crime, violence, bribery. The city was crooked as shit. And this is just a gloss over, but it's just to kind of paint a picture and give you the vibe of Chicago in the 20s. So first, I'm going to tell you about Beulah. Okay. Beulah Anon. Now, she's the woman that Roxy Hart was based off of in the movie. Okay. She was born Beulah May Sheriff in Owensboro, Kentucky. Side note, that's where Johnny Depp is from. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do I know that? I don't know. Love. Um, she was born there in 1899. She met her first husband there in Kentucky, a guy named Perry Stevens. Um, he was a newspaper linotype operator. Don't ask me what that means. Couldn't tell you. Um, Beulah and Perry eloped, and they ended up having a child together, a little boy. But Beulah was bored in Kentucky. I there bet. wasn't a whole lot to do. 
She was really just yearning for excitement, and she just wasn't that interested in being a wife and a mom. She wanted to drink and dance and live it up. So Perry kicked her out and divorced her, and he kept the son. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. This is when Beulah met a mechanic by the name of Albert or Al Anon. He swept her off to Chicago, and they got married there on March 29th of 1920. So Al found a job as a mechanic at a car repair shop, and Beulah found a job as a bookkeeper at Tenants Model Laundry. But it didn't take long for Beulah to get bored again, even though she was in Chicago now. She just was never going to be satisfied, I don't think. Right. I feel like routine was not for her. No. She did not like the same monotonous type of thing. Right. She wanted to be living on the edge. Yeah. And doing different things. Yeah, because she she basically went to work. She went home. She took care of the house. She made dinner, and that that was it. It wasn't what she wanted, but she did need Ale's financial support. So one day, she met the manager of the laundromat she worked for, a man named Harry Calstead, and they started having an affair. Beulah was just having a grand old time. She had the stability and financial security with Al and the excitement and thrill of having an affair with a married man. Mm -hmm. But in spite of this, Beulah began to get a little annoyed that Harry wasn't spending a lot of money on her. Oh, yeah. Okay. From what it sounds like, Beulah just had this idea in her head of like glamour and diamonds and fashion. Well, Beulah, yeah. And it Harry. It doesn't work out no, that way. No. It doesn't. Let Harry me tell you. Harry just couldn't or he wouldn't provide that for her. There's not much glamorous about no. this thing called life. No. Sorry, Beulah. So on April 3rd, 1924, Beulah and Harry had gotten into a fight. Now, Harry's the lover. Right. Not the husband. So Harry had brought some wine over to her place. They were drinking, and reportedly Beulah confessed to Harry that he wasn't the only man in her life. Now, I don't know if he didn't know she was married. There's just no way of knowing that. Right. And Harry was pissed. He tried to leave. But before he could get far, Beulah grabbed a gun and shot him in his back as he was putting on his coat and hat. Dear God. Why? Well, her story changes a lot, and we'll talk about that, too. So, apparently after Beulah shot Harry, she put on a foxtrot record called Hulalu and played it over and over again as she spent hours drinking and dancing around Harry's dead body. So then she called Al, her husband, and she said this random man tried to rape her, so she shot him. There were several other stories that she came up with too, like during all of this. Her story just kept changing. Her final story at trial was that she and Harry had gotten into a fight after she told him she was pregnant. Oh, dear God. And that she and Harry both reached for the gun at the same exact time, but she grabbed it first. And if you're familiar with the movie Chicago, this is exactly what happens. Yeah. We both reached for the gun as a song. Right. And then she does. She she comes out and says that she's pregnant because for sympathy of course and that's what really happened i'm sure that's what her attorneys told her to do right beulah was considered very beautiful and it wasn't uh, everybody what did she look like in real life the same like do these actors look like them not really no but i'll put pictures up i'll show you okay so she was considered gorgeous and it wasn't long before the press latched onto this and she became a celebrity her face was literally everywhere. Now, as far as the investigation into Harry's murder, the police really didn't believe Beulah's self-defense story because Harry was shot in the back. 
That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But juries in the 20s were all male. Women weren't allowed to serve on juries yet. And there was this bias of like the feminine ideal. It's something that we've talked about before with these old cases. To them, women were morally superior and they just weren't capable of premeditated violence. If a woman shot and killed someone, it had to have been in self-defense. Of course. Because, a, yeah. A woman would never. No, a woman committing cold-blooded no. murder just wasn't a thing. Mm-mm. It didn't happen. There was also the pregnancy. Beulah's husband, Al, believed her self-defense story. And Al, I mean, especially now that he knew she was pregnant, he stood by her the entire time. He emptied his bank accounts to get her the best lawyers. That's just really sad to me, and that's the saddest part of the movie, too. Mm -hmm. The jury also wasn't too keen on the idea of sending a pregnant woman to prison. Sure. And so, Beulah was acquitted in May of 1924. So once she was off the hook, she admitted to Ale that, nope, she wasn't really pregnant. She ended up leaving him, announcing, quote, I have left my husband. He is too slow. Hmm. Yep. She, okay. she would later say that he deserted her. In any case, after their divorce was finalized, Beulah married a man named Edward Harlib, who was a boxer, and they divorced three months later. Oh, damn. Beulah claimed that Edward was cruel to her, and she ended up with $5,000 in the divorce settlement, which would be around like seventy-five grand Holy today. Holy fucking hell. Yeah. He must have been a good boxer. Mm-hmm. Beulah thought that with her newfound fame, she would be able to have this like big entertainment career, but just like in the movie, the media just moved on to the next person. The next, and yeah, Beulah was old news. The next schmo who flows. The next Mary Murderess. Truly. Nothing really ever panned out for her, and her life was cut short when she died of tuberculosis at the age of 28. Dear God. Just four years after her acquittal. Now, like I said, Chicago pretty closely follows the story, Beulah's story, but Belva Gartner, who inspired the character Velma Kelly, didn't actually shoot her sister and her husband. She shot her lover Oh, in a car. Belva was born in Litchfield, Illinois in 1884, and not much is known about her early life. Her first marriage was to a man named Mr. Overbeck, I don't know his first name, just Mr. Overbeck. And then in 1917, she met and married a man named William Gartner, who was 20 years older than her and very wealthy. Only five months into the second marriage, William Gartner found out that Belva's first marriage, her divorce was never finalized before she married the second one. mm. Yeah. So William had their marriage annulled. Then she and William got married again. Then they separated. I mean, I get it. Like, shit's hard sometimes, but maybe, like, make it a little easier by not jumping the gun all the time. I don't know. What do I know? Belva was a famous cabaret singer, at least in the Chicagoland area, and she performed under the name Belle Brown. She was known as the queen of Chicago's cabarets. So she was 38 years old at this point, and she was known for being very fancy, very flashy. She wore this gaudy costume jewelry. She liked to party, and she liked to drink. This is when she met a guy named Walter Law. He was a young, married car salesman. He was only 29. And on March 11th, 1924, he was found dead in the front seat of Belva's car. Ugh. Next to him was an empty bottle of gin and a gun missing three rounds. 
Belva was found in her apartment the next morning, passed out drunk, with her blood-soaked clothes on the floor. She said that all she could remember was that she and Walter were out drinking and driving, and, and that's it. She was arrested the next day, and all she admitted was that, yes, she would go out drinking with Walter frequently, and yes, she carried a gun, but that was because she was afraid of being mugged. Right. So, Belva met Beulah when they were both put on murderous row in the Cook County Jail. That was a real cell block in the women's ward, and Belva was said to have ruled the cell block from the time she was brought in. Okay. And at the time, there were over a dozen women on murderous row, most of whom were accused of killing their husbands or lovers. Wow. This was like unheard of for the times. That many women in jail for murder. There was Big Anna, who murdered her husband after he told her he preferred thinner women. Oh, fuck. There was Moonshine Mary, who was in prison for selling poisoned whiskey to a man in her own speakeasy, killing him. And there was Kitty Malm, who killed a guard during a botched robbery. So I just imagined the cell block tango. Yeah. But, but these, like, these are the women. In the background. Yeah. Going on. <laughs> so it's rumored that Belva and Beulah actually set up their own little beauty shop instead of a jail cell, and they would help other women get ready for their trials by, like, picking out clothes for them, teaching them how to do their hair and makeup. And it's said that they received hordes of fan mail, like gifts and flowers, steak dinners, all sorts of shit. So they weren't, like, having a hard time in there. Yeah, sure. When it came time for Belva to get ready for trial, her ex, William Gartner, came right to her beck and call to pay for her legal team. Her defense was that there were zero witnesses to the murder of Walter Law, so who's to say that he didn't shoot himself? That was their whole thing. They say that Belva witnessed him do that. That was her defense, that she watched him shoot himself. Okay. <laughs> I don't I, I don't think so. And then she panicked and fled to her apartment. And but it worked. Of course that it did. That story worked cuz Belva was acquitted by the all-male jury in June of 1924. So Belva later told Maureen Dallas Watkins, the crime reporter who came up with the idea of Chicago the play and movie. Mm-hmm. Belva told her, quote, "No woman can love a man enough to kill him. They aren't worth it cuz there are always plenty more." Oh, wow. (laughs) Walter was just a kid, 29, and I'm 38. Why should I have worried whether he loved me or whether he left me? Gin and guns, either one is bad enough, but together they get you in a dickens of a mess, don't they? (laughs) Yeah. So that was Belva. So after she was acquitted, she married William Gartner again. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) William filed for divorce again in 1926, saying that Belva was an abusive alcoholic. It is not going to work out. No. It isn't going to work out. He claimed that she tried to kill him after he found her with another man. Belva was also convicted of drunk driving in 1926, and by 1930, she and William had moved to Europe. Like, they just couldn't quit each other. Yeah. And she just had, like, a host of problems. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Lots of little demons inside of her, I think. William died in 1948, and then after that, Belva moved to Pasadena with her sister, where she passed away in 1965 of natural causes at the age of 80. I was just going to ask how old she was. Yeah. So the thing is, people started to catch on that these women were shown clear favoritism by the men who served on their juries. Like, you you couldn't deny it. A week after Belva was acquitted, there was even a headline that read, quote, A woman jury to try woman slayers urged. Claim now that pretty girls get set free. Ugly ones sent to the pen. 
And what happened with Beulah and Belva's cases began the debate on whether or not to allow women to serve on juries. Sure. After a shit ton of convincing and lobbying, in 1931, Illinois passed a law to allow women jurors. It was denied by the state legislature. And, like, I don't understand how these things work. But then it was finally passed again in 1939. Have you ever been summoned for jury duty? No. Never? Never. I was summoned Knock on wood. right after Jackson was born. Oh. Like, literally, the letter came while I was in the hospital. No. So I go home, and I see this. And Tanner had to go back to work yeah, for, like, a day sure. or something. And I had to haul my newborn to the courthouse. And I was like, baby. Yeah. Stitched up crotch. <laughs> leaky tits like this is it's it's not happening i yeah. can't it hurt to sit it hurt to stand yeah. i'm like oh yeah i'm not doing jury duty i'm sorry yeah so i got out of it <laughs> didn't your dad have to do it in chicago mm-hmm. yeah i thought so he yeah, took the he train up the there train. every day yeah hmm. i actually forgot about that yeah i remember that for some reason so maureen watkins who i mentioned before right she was responsible for turning all of this into chicago she grew up basically in the sticks in Indiana, in this tiny little town, and she always wanted to be a playwright. She graduated first in her class from Butler College, and she was accepted into a playwriting workshop at Harvard. She ended up going to like five or six different colleges. Like, really? Super smart, super accomplished, but she wanted to experience more. So she moved to Chicago, where she landed a job as a crime reporter for the Chicago Tribune in 1924. So she did this for eight months. And this was right when Beulah was on trial. Belva was on trial. She covered both of them. Um, her reporting was said to have been kind of cynical. Like she pointed out how the entire thing was like a circus. And she saw right through like their innocent acts that they tried to pull. And she was competing with what they called sob sisters. And sob sisters were female reporters who focused on making these female murderers out to be angels who were corrupted by men and liquor. Jesus. Like they would focus on what the murders did to the women that committed them instead right. of the victims and their families. And if you're familiar with the movie, you see like an exaggerated example of this in Mary Sunshine. Like I always thought that that was like a joke, that character. Yeah. But they really did exist. These reporters did exist. So Maureen published right around 50 stories during her time at the Chicago Tribune. She covered crime and trials. She covered funerals, women's fashion, among other topics. And she even reported on the Leopold and Loeb kidnapping and murder case, which was happening right at the same time as Beulah and Belva's cases. When her time at the Tribune was up, Maureen went back to school, Yale, actually. Oh. Now she's at Yale. And during a workshop there, she wrote a fictionalized account of Beulah and Belva's cases. At first, she called it The Brave Little Woman, and then it turned into Chicago. Beulah Anon became Roxy Hart, Belva Gartner became Velma Kelly, Albert Anon was Amos Hart, and Beulah and Belva's lawyers, William Scott Stewart and W.W. O'Brien, were combined and turned into the character Billy Flynn. Maureen purposely made them caricatures basically so she said she didn't want people to relate to the characters or sympathize with them because she wanted the audience to hate them actually because of like she found it so asinine that they got off right on their looks and charm right so it is such bullshit i know and it really is that happens still yes and i'm gonna tell you like another quick story right after this that will piss you off Mm, pissed me off reading about it (laughs) cannot wait for that one (laughs) 
Chicago opened on Broadway in December of 1926, and what kills me is this was like two years after Belva and Beulah were acquitted. Right. So they had to have known it was like a major Broadway play. Yeah. I wonder if they watched it and I wonder if they were pissed. I'm sure they were. And like Belva was a cabaret singer. Beulah wanted to be a famous singer, dancer, whatever. And now there were other women on the stage playing them. It had to have stung a little bit. I mean, I I don't know. I hope that it did. Yeah. But it ran for 172 performances, and then, which is, I guess, pretty good for Broadway. I have no idea. And then the play toured for two years. In 1927, a silent film adaptation came out, and in 1942, it was made into a movie again. So Maureen ended up in Hollywood. She I bet wrote, she did. Yeah, <laughs> she, wrote, she wrote around 20 more screenplays. She became a millionaire off of her work, and then she traveled the world. She passed away in 1969, and according to a member of Maureen's family, she died never really getting over the thought that maybe her reporting at the Tribune helped Beulah and Belva gain sympathy, and that she inadvertently helped them get acquitted. She had this, like, sitting on her conscience. I don't think it was true. I don't think that's true. Well, and I hate that we have to feel bad about things. I know. Like that, like yeah. that situation. She shouldn't have felt bad about it, no. but it's, that's our brain. Right, yep. Just one brain for all She of wasn't us. out there being one of those sob sisters. Right. She was trying right. to be honest. Right, and do so, the right thing. Right. So after Maureen died, Bob Fosse, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Bob Fosse obtained the rights to Chicago. He produced Chicago, a musical vaudeville, in 1975. It was revived in 1997, and the movie that most of us know came out in 2002. Chicago ended up becoming a $2 billion franchise. So I'm going to tell you one more story. Okay. And it's the story of another woman on Murderous Row, Sabella Nitti. Okay. was her name. Sabella was an Italian immigrant to Chicago. She was also the first woman sentenced to hang for her crime oh. in Chicago. Now, Sabella was considered hideous, especially to the prosecutor, who called her a quote-unquote ugly animal. The prosecutor also said, quote, Can you see that woman? No, she isn't a woman. She is a fiend. She's not a woman. End quote. A reporter for the Chicago Daily Tribune wrote, quote, Husband killer, a dumb, crouching, animal-like Italian peasant, end quote. Wow. And when the jury read Sabella's verdict, which she didn't understand because she didn't speak English at all, that same reporter wrote, quote, Mrs. Nitty ran stubby fingers where the dirt was ingrained into broken nails into her matted hair. She shifted her stocky legs and smoothed out the dark blue skirt, made full and short for work in the field. She hadn't understood a word, but she twisted up her face in a grotesque angle of fear and inferiority and cruelty and hope, end quote. Now, Sabella was found guilty. She didn't even know that she had been found guilty and was going to die until the next day when someone finally translated the verdict for her. When she learned that she was going to hang, she fainted. Of course she did. Now, Sabella, As anyone yeah, would. Yeah. Sabella was convicted on zero evidence, and I mean none. Sabella worked on the family farm. She had long hair that she kept tied back, not a bob like these other women had who were getting away with murder. Mm-hmm. 
She worked hard. She didn't need and couldn't afford the fashions of the time. So she was the opposite of Beulah and Belva in every way except that she was innocent. Yikes. And with all of these women being acquitted, the prosecution really wanted a win. Right. So they picked Sabella because she was an easy target. Ugh. What happened is really unclear. There the little tiny bits of evidence were circumstantial at best, if you could even call them that. Sabella's husband disappeared, but so did their family savings. He ran off yeah, of is what he happened. Did. Yeah. Um doesn't take a rocket scientist no. to figure that one out. So Sabella's attorney, who I assumed was court appointed, um, he was said to be incompetent. The judge even warned him that his incompetence was harming his client. So she had a shit lawyer. Yeah, right. And she was sentenced to death. Wow. But a group of lawyers heard about her case and came to her aid to help Sabella appeal the verdict. One lawyer in particular, Helen Cerise, a female lawyer, like that was unheard of too right. at the time. Um, she gave Sabella a makeover because her life depended on it, essentially. Yeah. She gave Sabella a bob. She dyed her hair. She gave her a manicure. She got her new clothes. She even taught her enough English to get her through the trial. And when Sabella's case went to the Supreme Court, she appeared as a new woman, basically. And the papers were now calling her a butterfly instead mm -hmm. of a hideous animal. Like she transformed. Mm -hmm. Yep. And she was granted a retrial. She was released on bail. And since there was no evidence, nothing new, no new evidence, the charges were eventually dropped. So a happy ending for Sabella. But it just goes to show that how much of all of this depended on what they looked like. Right. And I know that like we as humans, we make subconscious like judgments based on appearance all like, the time that's why there's these little tricks of the trade that people use in court like how to look how you know wear glasses wear right. a sweater set do this do that because it makes a difference right but it's <sighs> she was railroaded it's just not fucking fair when freaking beulah is dancing around a body to the foxtrot right and she gets off uh and sabella uh. was going to hang because she didn't look like them uh. she didn't she couldn't defend herself right and thank God for the lawyers that helped her because they knew. They knew that if there was any shot in hell for Sabella, she was going to need a makeover. Right. And that's just an unfortunate truth. So I'm pretty sure the character in Chicago, I think the character was Hungarian. And the only English she knew was not guilty. The words not guilty was based off of Sabella, except the character in the movie did hang. Right. So... And, it, you know, it's still a problem today. Poor women or women who don't fit certain beauty standards right. are not treated the same. No. It's just how no. it is. No, 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 It's no, just no. how it is. And it's not fair. And I wish there was a way to change that. Right, but it's just too. so deeply ingrained. I just find it insane that someone can be accused of murder based on their looks. There's zero evidence. And somehow she's sentenced to death because she's quote unquote ugly. Right. I just don't, I can't, I can't even fathom, I can't fathom it because there's so many fucking monsters walking the world right now yep. because there's no evidence. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, it's crazy to me. It's so fucking crazy. And I can't even like properly <laughs> express my feelings about this. Because our justice system is so messed up. So, I mean, imagine our justice system today, 2021. But think about it when all of this was going on. Like, I can't even, my brain 
explodes when it tries to think about this. And to, to sentence someone to death because they weren't attractive, like, I just cannot. Imagine what it would be like <laughs> to be like, oh, you're being sentenced to death because you're ugly. So we're going to give you a makeover in hopes that you're going to get acquitted. And then it fucking works. Like, I just can't. <laughs> Katie, I can't. It, I can't. My brain, there's not room in it for this at all. I know. And imagine being Sabella and not knowing the language, not knowing what your fate is. And how scared she must have been. It just, it blows my mind. But yeah, those were the stories of Beulah and Belva and Maureen and Sibella, the real Mary murderesses of the Cook County Jail. Okay, so what are you, actually, I'll go, no, you go first. What are you reading, watching, or listening to? I started a new show called Tell Me Your Secrets. Mm -hmm. It's on, um, I think it's called, I'm pretty sure it's called Tell Me Your Secrets. It's on um, Amazon Prime. It's got Lily Rabe from American Horror Story. It's good. It's a thriller series kind of. Okay. Yeah. I listened to that (laughs) Therapy Thoughts podcast and it gave me so much goddamn anxiety. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I figured out why that is though. Why my phone did that. Why the sound did that. Yeah, why? Me and Tanner share a Spotify account. Oh, yes. So when he like plays it on his phone, my phone thinks it's going to play Spotify. And yeah. I don't listen to podcasts on Spotify, right. but my phone thinks it's going into Spotify mode. It's because he's turning it on no matter where he is. So he's working for the city of Chicago. Right. And he's all the way up there turning on Spotify. My phone fucking freaks out. But yeah, <laughs> the volume on my phone went haywire listening to therapy thoughts. And it gave me major anxiety. <laughs> Because it was so loud that it scared me. Oopsies. Anyway, what about you? Um, I am reading The Wife Upstairs. I am... How is that? Is that good? It's okay. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. I am... If, in case... I don't like I... Did I ever say on the podcast I finished The Wrong Family? Yeah. Okay. I'm watching nothing as per usual. Um, and I'm listening to the Therapy Thoughts podcast. I The very first one that I listened to. <laughs> the one I, that I have bad feelings about now. <laughs> yeah. And the one I recommended to you and then you yeah. actually listened mm-hmm. and then you had an anxiety attack. Yeah. Oops. It's okay. Um, I had asked my therapist for some like uplifting podcasts that weren't like glass half full. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be so great. <laughs> oh, I got one. Grow through what you go through. Remember grow that one? Grow what you yeah. go through. <laughs> Can't. I'm sorry. I'm pessimistic and I'm a fucking glass half empty type of person. And I do my stuff in the morning and I set my morning routine and I do really good with all of that. Mm-hmm. I do some positive affirmations that aren't fucking weird. Yeah. And I'm happy with that. But it's when you go crazy mm-hmm. over the top. Like, yeah, everyone is happy. Mm-hmm. here yeah. in my mind <laughs> all of us are doing well in happy land in happy land positive all vibes have only to do is say i am grateful for everything i am grateful for breath i am grateful <laughs> i know what you mean yes because I tell you this all the time. Yes. We talk about, and we've talked about it before, I think, I on think Patreon, so the toxic positivity. Yeah. It's toxic. It's yeah. not, it's yeah. not, you I, need to be realistic and, and feel your feelings. Exactly. I, um, 
I don't like an inspirational quote. Right. I just like things that resonate with me. And it's never an inspirational quote. Yeah. It's never, grow through what you go yeah. through. It's never that. No, no, no. What the fuck? No. <laughs> um. Oh, that's what I was going to say. The very first episode that I listened to after my therapist was like, oh, the, you're going to like this girl because she's kind of like, eh, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, she's not like so like happy and upbeat, mm-hmm. you know, she's just like, eh. Yeah. Um, so the very first episode I listened to on Therapy Thoughts was an OCD episode and I cried while I listened to it. Yeah. Because it it literally resonated so deeply inside of me. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was the first time that I heard people actually, I mean, I've, I know what's real. I know I, my OCD is valid and all of that, but it was the first time that I heard two therapists talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like it was like no big deal. Right. You know? Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. Since we're talking about what we're reading and watching and listening, I always forget to mention this, but this is a YouTube channel that I have been watching for a long time, um, and it's called Bookish Babes. And if you type it in on YouTube, there's going to be something else that pops up too. But the icon, like the profile picture is two girls like sitting and reading a book or reading books, not the same book, obviously. (laughs) Um, And it's so bookish, like B-O-O-K-I-S-H, babes, B-A-B-E-S. And it's our dear friend slash Patreon member, Chastity's um, YouTube channel. And you guys have probably seen her comment on things in the group. And she is just a huge, huge, huge supporter of the podcast, of our books, of just everything in general. She's an, an amazing, amazing we person. We love her. Um, and a wonderful friend. And I would love it if you guys would go subscribe to their channel. Um, she has a channel with her best friend, Hannah. And they make all kinds of different like booktube uh, content. So you're going to see like reading wrap ups and TBR stuff and like, I don't, maybe book hauls. You never know. You never um, know. They have like different tags going on. So like the anti TBR tag is one of them, a kiss, marry, or kill challenge. They have wrap up videos. They talk specifically about Layla by Colleen Hoover, which I know a lot of you guys liked. Um, they talk about their reading goals. They have a lot of different videos, and I just love them. I think that they're hilarious, and they read a lot of the types of books that you guys like just from knowing you guys from talking to you in the group. So if you would kindly go check out their channel, I will also remind everybody on the Facebook group and on Instagram and on Twitter, but I just cannot get enough of their videos on there. And I just love them. So you should do it. But that's all I'm reading, watching, and listening to. Yeah. That's all I got for you. I really want to watch Behind Her Eyes. Did you read that book? I feel like I did. Behind Her Eyes. I think it's on Netflix. Okay. I'm not sure, but that just came out recently. But yeah, I want to check that one out. There's a lot of stuff I want to watch that I probably won't because I my know. nighttime is the only time I can get anything done. I know. Same. And, Yay. I, and I just want to go to bed. Yeah. So... Yeah. All right, guys, you can send us an email at cruelandunusualthepod at gmail.com. You can uh, go to our website. That is www.cruelinkmedia.com. I tweet at cruelunusualpod. You can join our Facebook group. That is cruelandunusual colon the group. I th- don't know if I said Instagram, but that is at cruelandunusualthepod. Cruel. And unusual, the pod. The pod. All right, guys, until next time. Until next Until time. next week. Next week's going to be kind of a whopper for you guys. So it's going to be a junior bacon cheeseburger. It's going to be a junior whopper with bacon <laughs> and <What>? cheese. <laughs> we- 
<laughs> I don't know. All right. Please All right, forgive guys. us for our sins. We love yes. you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.